0: Welcome back to the Deeper Dive podcast, produced locally in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. Here at Sacred Heart Roman Catholic Church in La Plata, Maryland. My name is Bill Winnell, as always, joined by Father Larry Swink. Good afternoon, Father. And Monsignor Charles Pope. Today, we are going to kind of take a deal, get a two for one. Instead of the daily and our weekly one, we're going to podcast, we'll combine the two. And take a a deeper dive, if you will, uh, sorry about that, uh, into Luke's gospel uh, regarding the road to Emmaus. So we'll start, uh, I'll start reading to read the gospel, and then Monsignor and Father will comment. That very day, the first day of the week, two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus, and they were conversing about all the things that had occurred. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped, looking downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, said to him in reply, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place there in these days? And he replied to them, What sort of things? They said to him, the things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. How our chief priests and rulers both handed him over to a sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And besides all of this, it is now the third day since this took place. Some women from our group, however, have astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came back and reported, they had indeed seen a vision of angels, who announced that he was alive. Then some of those with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women had described, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke! Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interrupted to... He interpreted to them that, excuse me, what referred to him in all the scriptures. As they approached the village to which they were going, he gave the impression that he was going on farther. But they urged him, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it happened that while he was with them at table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. With that, their eyes were open, and they recognized him.
1: Okay, so we are in Easter season and uh we've got these really powerful accounts where Jesus encounter is encountered in a hidden way. And uh, you know, Monsignor, I've heard you talk about how this is the mass on the move. Uh, and uh but uh maybe we could take it we could talk a little bit about that, but also like how how people can experience Easter in a more found way using these scriptures and um maybe start off with this first point where they're go- they're seven miles away from Jerusalem, on. Uh, <laughs> they're going the wrong way, and uh, let's start there. And what's your experience as a pastor? You've been doing this job a little longer than me, and about how maybe Easter can be. I don't know. You have Easter Sunday, and that's that's the end of it, and then you know back to the old me, right? Um, maybe let's we'll start there. Like you know it's Easter, and how do we experience or celebrate well the Easter season? How do we look at that in our spirituality?
0: One second.
2: Sure. All right. All right. There we go. Yeah. I think if uh, we we take a good look at these, all the accounts of the Lord's resurrection, there's about, well, depending on how you number them, about 13 or 14 of them, um, that you find that the, uh, the the disciples, apostles, whoever is being featured, they need to make a journey. Uh, it, it did not. It, the last thing they expected to see was Jesus risen from the dead. And that's amazing because Jesus had told them on at least three, I mean, no, five or six occasions that he would rise on the third day. But, you know, you know, just didn't, it's like mine, like a steel trap, never, never occurred to them. So the idea that he was risen from the dead, it it takes them a while to get used to this idea and and come around to it. So like, for example, when Mary Magdalene went out to the tomb and the other Mary and some of the other women, they see an empty tomb. Well, that's evidence of the resurrection but they think grave robbers, you know, and so they're looking at the very evidence of the resurrection and it's all negative to them. So Mary Magdalene had to make a journey. The other women had to make a journey. Uh, Peter and John have to make a journey. Now these disciples on the road to Emmaus are on a journey, both literally and figuratively. So as you point out, as the gospel opens up, they're going in the wrong direction. They've got, they're facing to the West toward the darkness. They got their backs to Jerusalem they need to be reoriented to uh, to turn around out of orient him. <laughs> And, uh, they need certain, to, well, oh, yeah. Well, sometimes you know.
1: we can't do that in the church, but that's all right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, uh, but at any rate, and then the Lord is going to use a liturgy in effect, the liturgy to do it. And this is what, I think has to happen for us that if we're faithful to the Holy liturgy that over these years, you know, the Lord opens our minds to the understanding of scripture that we recognize him in the breaking of the bread. We start to see things differently to understand we have different priorities. And so the liturgy changes our personality to conform them more to Christ. And that's what happens to these disciples on the road to Emmaus and, um, uh, what is ideally happens to us is too. just one other final introductory point is that one of them is named Cleopas. The other is not named because if you're prepared to accept it, it's you. Right. hundred
1: percent. And uh, I, you know, I've, I've experienced how uh, people, I, you know, they say they do things like Exodus 90, these really intense Latin uh, things and it comes Easter Sunday and it's like, we'll have like five beers. <laughs> you know, or, you know, someone gives them chocolate, chocolate on Easter Sunday, they just go through a whole, ba- you know, whole, a whole, uh, you know, basket of chocolate. It's almost like yeah. the lesson wasn't learned. It was almost like, you know, let's let's uh, grin and bear it for 40 days and then back to the same old. And there was um, I really enjoyed your homily on the Easter vigil and your statement about how many Catholics, you know, like you're talking about the mass and like this is where it's at, you know, as Jesus is sort of uh, you know, encountering these disciples in a hint way, sort of this walking liturgy that when we go to mass, this isn't just some silly ritual, uh, mm-hmm. but this is a transformative experience and that too many people accept these sort of, you know, pseudo depressed lives and, and they say things, well, it is what it is. And they, and they just, you know, they don't uh, just kind of get caught up in sinful habits and just think they will always be this way. Um, how do you give people more hope or maybe a different perspective? Cause like in this gospel, these apostles are downcast, you know? And Jesus says, well, what are you guys talking about? And he's like, are you <laughs> the only one who didn't hear about what's going on in the church? And, you know, and, and, uh, you know, my kids are messed up and I've got, you know, my wife's got this addiction and we're well, no. just, okay. Okay. So how, how do, how do we get out of that mindset of just being super negative and and maybe passive in terms of like, you know, like really experiencing the resurrection in a transformed way through the liturgy. Yeah. Uh, Some
2: words on that. If you look to the internal evidence of the gospel, it is through the celebration of the liturgy by breaking open the word of God and then feeding them with his body and blood that he draws them out of all this negativity, reorients them literally and figuratively. So we, we can develop that more in a moment. But the other aspect of it is I think father, it has to start with people like you and me. You know, too often priests are up there kind of more providing information than witness or testimony. Mm. And we're really supposed to first and foremost be witnesses so that um, when we stand before God's people, we can say, look, I'm not trying to ask you to to come to something I've never experienced myself. I myself have been changed and transformed by the liturgy I've celebrated, you know, as a priest for 35 years, but much longer as a, a, you know, as a, a disciple. So I can only tell you that sacraments work. Uh, I'm not what I want to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And then all these years of celebrating the liturgy um, has transformed me. And I, I have a long way to go, but I, I have, I have made, I, the Lord brought me a mighty long way. And I'm not the man I used to be. And I give God the glory. I give the sacraments and the liturgy the credit. I also say to the people here, and I suppose you could say the same, uh, that as a priest, I stand before them and I say, for you, I'm your pastor. With you, I'm your brother. But from you, I am your son. Because I've been with some of you so long, um, that you've literally raised me up in the faith. And we've prayed together, sung together, and through you the Lord has formed me to the man I'm to be. And I'm 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 not yet fully formed, but I'm I'm long down the journey. And so to be able to testify that sacraments work, prayer works, reading scripture works, that these things get into us and they change us and transform us. Right. And um, yeah. So right. I think that's where we have to begin um, and always point back to the liturgy though. Right.
1: And and it's interesting after they start kind of, you know, dumping all their concerns on Jesus and they're not really focused on him. They're focused on their problems, which we do a lot of times, even in prayer and, you know, yeah, the mass, we're just kind of sitting here passively. Okay. You know, yeah, nice point, but we're kind of consumed with maybe some darkness in our life. And, and then he, it's, he opens up the word to them and he's, and it says, it says, later were are our hearts burning when you open up the scriptures for us um can you say a little bit about when I just gave a, a conference to the missionaries of charity and we were talking about this and I one of the points I made to him was like sisters you know like one day I'll have to stand before God about what I preach about and and that preaching is really one of our our, our primary duties as a priest it's a because faith comes from hearing um can you say a little bit about like from your experience, what is good preaching where we can get people's hearts on fire for Christ? Because I think one of the biggest complaints there is in the Catholic church today, while we're losing so many people is just awful preaching, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it's like, we're, we're, we're in persona Christie trying to, you know, bring people to life. And it's like, you know, it's a, it's a little joke here and then a the platitude. And then I'm in the creed, you know? So, Mm-hmm. Maybe a few words on that, how we could be more like Christ, because we are, you know, we have to be witnesses of that, too, and maybe your experience of what what is, what works, what doesn't work.
2: You know, it's interesting that uh, maybe if we step back and kind of look at how this is a mass, you start to see that two are gathered, and then yeah. Christ joins them. Wherever two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst. So you've got Cleopas and this other person, you— uh walking and the lord joins them so that's kind of your gathering right if i can use that term but then there's a, but here's where i think the key point comes there's a penitential right of sorts right the lord says you know what's wrong you guys looking downcast man you all we all bummed out about <laughs> <You know? laughs> he walks up on them like this and they say are you the only one who hasn't heard the disaster you know of the last you know and they tell they pour out their hearts with all this sorrow and heartache um and so in a way, isn't that really what he, he he's, he's about to scratch where they're itching? In other words, he's going to address their concerns, their woes, um, not with some abstractions or generalities. He's going to break open a word and apply it to exactly what they're concerned about. Right. So in other words, he starts with this question. How how you doing? What's going on? Where are you walking? How, as you make your journey, what are you talking about, you know? And that's kind of the question for us, really, in the penitential, right? Right. The Lord wants to, to reach us and find out. Well, what? what are you? Where are you now? Where are you struggling? What? What can we do? And then, having obtained this information from from them, um, he um, he then goes to work to expose, you know, I mean, explain, I should say, and and uh, do an exposition on his holy word, how it answers their concerns. So I think at the heart of good preaching, you know, there's an old saying, you know, the definition of boredom is answering questions that people are not asking. <laughs> and we, we can do a lot of that, you know. It's like preaching
1: careful. about gun control in the country. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we can get kind of geeky about stuff, too, you know, pretty esoteric. So the point is, that I think, though, that good preaching does start where people are, they know their struggles and they want to hear from the Lord. Right. And um, so the Lord does that with them. He walks with them. That penitential rites important. And then having heard them, he says, in effect, he preaches a word to them and then he explains it. So there's your liturgy, of the word. And there's your um, there's your homily. You know, now uh, I, I'd like to point out, though, that, um, um, you know, that. Uh, <laughs> There's an attitude today that you should never confront people, be nice, never offend, you know, just constant. You know, it's Jesus, it's all this talk about accompaniment is as if it meant just like, oh, tell me your troubles. Oh, I have mine too. You know, I, I don't have any answers, but let's explore the question, you know, this kind of vague sort of, <laughs> no, the Lord has answers. And he says to them, right. how stupid, how foolish, how slow to believe. Right, right, right. <laughs> And then he kind of confronts them with the word of God. And, you know, I think sometimes, again, we Catholic priests are, um, I I think unintentionally, but I got the message pretty clearly that when I was back in, this is way back in the 80s now, when I was in the seminary in the early 80s, uh, never offend, be nice, you know, tell at least one joke to begin. You always have to tell a joke to begin. There was always this kind of do no harm Never upset, never offend, never provoke. Well, I mean, I, I think that's what part of what makes our homilies pretty dull, Father. <laughs> you know, because if that's the case, you know, I mean, Jesus, well, anyway, his preaching was um he he did he did he didn't end up on that cross because he 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 pleased everybody. But I'm not saying we intentionally want to upset or offend people, but a good answer will provoke, you see. Sometimes you have to call something out of people. And realize that you know you're you're completely focused on the wrong things, and sort of confront them, confront ourselves, so that maybe every sermon afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted, and that's yeah. a good sermon. If and we're all a little bit of both, right? We're yeah. both comfortable, we're, we're afflicted, and uh, we're also uh, too comfortable.
1: Yeah, it challenges those that need it and comforts those that need just uh, a little bit of hope. They're doing the right thing, and it's yeah. interesting you say that because he's in G- Jesus says, once in this gospel, he says. Oh, how foolish you are. I mean, like, this is, yeah. you know, I mean, he's just like, he's, he's cool, you know, like he just gets in their face and tells them like, what do you think? What are you doing? And, um, yeah, that's not very welcoming father. Yeah. I, 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 I always laugh about, and that the, it's, uh, it's just fun doing this because I, I have memories of some of the things you said when I was, when I was a deacon with you years ago, a long time ago. And I remember talking about how I think he preached about hell once and like, someone says, well, my Jesus would never send anyone to hell. And and you kind of like, so well, I'm just quoting him, right? I, I just, the, the yeah. idea that the message yeah. is, is sort of pointed at times, you know, in order. And I think one of your big lines is there's no good news, like resurrection, unless there's bad news first, you know, like yeah. Jesus conquered this stuff. Well, then what in our life needs to be purified and healed, you know, through his power? You want to say a few words about that?
2: Yeah, there's a, the expression is, if you don't know the bad news, the good news is no news. And that's why, again, Good Friday is is important. Uh, That way, Easter Sunday is like glorious, you know, but we have to get in touch with our need for mercy to really just be overwhelmed with gratitude, you know, for mercy that's shown to us. So there's so many disconnects today with just good, healthy psychology to begin with. I mean, you know, most people, mercy means like, hey, like, wow, man, God is like cool with everything I'm doing, man. He's merciful. Unlike you, you stupid priest. Well, Okay but if you if god's way cool with everything you're doing you don't you don't need mercy you right. just canceled the need for it so again the point is we need mercy because god is not way cool with everything mm-hmm. we're doing and we're doing a lot of things that harm ourselves and harm other people you got to get in touch with that and you know like wow that's true uh to get in touch with our limitations you know someone will say i can't stop being angry or someone else will say i can't stop drinking or i can't stop spending too much money or looking at youtube too long or whatever and you get in touch with that, and that, that's not always the most pleasant thinking, but you start to realize, wow, I am so grateful that I have a Savior who can go to work in my life and begin to free me from this stuff. But if you just constantly say, I'm okay, you're okay, everything's just fine, well, that's like going to the doctor with gangrene. And the um, <laughs> doc says, oh, doc, what, what about this gangrene? He says, oh, you're fine. Uh, it's, so, it's so judgmental to say you have gangrene, you know? We don't want to upset you uh who's to say gangrene is good is bad or good you know you don't want a doctor like that you want a doctor that can say you got gangrene man and this isn't good you got it bad and that ain't good right. and we got to go to work and deal with this but here's the good news we caught it early and i think we can we can bring healing oh, thank you Lord. thank you doctor you know but you see we mm-hmm. got to get in touch with the bad news mm-hmm. otherwise the good news is no news and so yeah, yeah he's got to tell him, man. You, you guys are off target, man. <laughs> right. And
1: I, I think there's, there's a, there's a point point you're making here is that, you know, we also believe, and some people will debate this, this issue that the uh, word of God is infallible. It's without error. It's the mm-hmm. only certain thing that we have in this world in some ways. And, yeah. it, you know, like, you know, I myself be going to doctors. You've heard my stories every time I come back from a doctor's appointment and you never get like a real black and white answer, you know, with. you could
2: be yeah. this. Yes,
1: but... And leave you <laughs> obscurity. We're like, I just want to know what to do. Like, just say, you know, make it, make, make it, give me something that's like factual. This is your problem. This is what you do. But I found it, it just in in all walks of life, outside of the faith, no one can really give you a black and white answer. You know, yeah. it's almost, like, against the law to do that. Um, yeah, right. You're like, you know, with your scratching your head, thinking, Well, shoot, what's the, what am I supposed to do? And I think maybe that's the problem in many Catholic churches. They're not getting any. They're not in anything, meat and potatoes. Yeah. And therefore, they walk out scratching their heads like, well, why am I here? And well, Yeah.
2: Here? Yeah, abstractions and generalities, you know. And the Lord just hits them with the word of God and say, come on, this is all prophesied. Let me remind you of this text and that text and this text and that. And like, wow. And their their hearts are on fire because he's really showing them that all of their, you know, concerns are, are off base based on everything scripture has said right once well, in your experience or, i mean not to put you on the spot here but like has there been a homily
1: where you dropped a homily thinking they are not gonna they're not gonna like this they're gonna hate me for this i'm gonna get 100 emails but you found that the opposite was actually true
0: yeah.
1: and found like fruit like people actually came to the lord and thanked you for the truth and just sort of like do you remember a, an instance where you were really convicted of that can you give testimony of that
2: yeah you know i think um i have uh generally found that, um, you know, when, when, you know, a lot of there's an expression in the African-American community, oh, father, you stepping my toes today, <laughs> stepping on my toes. Um, but again, there's something, okay, let's say you go to the doctor and you to use your example, and the doctor's all kind of vague and scratching his head, you know, okay, but what if the doctor says, here's your problem? You've gotten a mono-ultra-microscopic And here's, the, here's what we're going to do to make you better. You know, a clear diagnosis with a clear path to recovery is, I think, ultimately, people do, even if it, at times it hurts, and there's always going to be some people that are offended. But I think a lot of people just appreciate clarity. One time a woman came up to me after mass at the Basilica. This is not at my regular parish. And I, I, I said, uh, I was quoting a spiritual love, uh, fare you well, poor sinner, fare you well. And she came up to me after the end of Mass. She said, Did you call us sinners? And I thought, Oh, gosh. <laughs> but actually, it was just the opposite. She said, You know, I haven't been called a sinner in years. And you know what? It was kind of interesting. I, I, it's true. And I am one. And thank you for being honest, Father. You know, (laughs) something simple like that, you know. And then I've had that other experience like you already quoted, where I preached on hell, and this woman said, I didn't hear the Jesus I know in your words today. And I said, But I was quoting him. And she says, Oh, we know he never really said that. I mean (laughs) that's crazy how some people want to reinvent God. But at the end of the day, I really do think that most people appreciate a good, solid, biblically based homily as you point out there's a certain sense at least among the faithful that there's nothing more certain that we have than the word of god right. there's nothing you can't be any more certain than than faith is what gives you the greatest certainty and um, for us to be clear biblically based speaking in a general way so we're not picking on one or two individuals but this we're all in this together you know i think it's, it's you're right people um, people actually do as a, more, more people like that than dislike it I, I agree with
1: that 100%. So, moving on, let's kind of go, keep going through this transformation that they received through this uh-huh. liturgy. We got this liturgy, the word, and then they, uh, they say, you know, stay with us, Lord. Where are you going? And uh, it was nearly evening. And he went to stay with them, and it happened that while he was with them at table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. With that, their eyes were opened. All right, some commentary, Monsignor. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, he took
2: the bread, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. I mean, it's a synaxis right there you know that's what we call in theology the synaxis it's it's the very it's the, those are the that, those are the eucharistic words this isn't just ordinary bread um and so again there is this um uh, a remarkable moment where you know nothing could be clear if it hasn't been clear up to now that a that a mass is being celebrated now it's clear uh he took the bread blessed it and broke it and gave it to them uh so we might say the he uh, silly you know we theologians with our ten dollar words but uh he was confecting the synaxis <laughs> so, yeah. nice. and it says that with that they they their eyes were opened and they recognized him but right. then something odd is happening he he disappears right he disappears from their sight now this is a um um you know this is a, a an issue that um it's as if to say to them, look, you will no longer see me in the way that you've been used to seeing me, like, you know, with your earthly eyes. And, um, you're going to see me, but you'll be seeing me now in the liturgy and the sacraments. So I'm preparing you for this. And they said, oh, you see, they recognized him. All this time they've been, he's been with them. And it says, we don't, the mystery of this phrase, their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Right. So did he change his appearance or was it just their sin? Uh, what prevented them? I don't know. The the text leaves it open, but at the end of the day, the challenge for us is to, to recognize Christ in the liturgy, to realize that he is a celebrant of every liturgy of every sacrament. When he, when we sit in a confessional father and say, I absolve, you know, it's not you, it's not me. That's Jesus speaking through us. This is my body. This is my blood. That's not, first of all, my body and blood can't help anybody. Uh, But, but, but Jesus, you see, he's, it's his body, his blood. So, To begin to see and recognize you know people say oh well you know i uh if i if i could know jesus is really there well he is really here you know and it's beyond our ability to see with these eyes these earthy eyes but with the eyes of faith to begin to recognize him Mm -hmm. and notice it isn't just in the bread but in the breaking of the bread so in other words it's not it is the eucharist but it's more than the eucharist as the sacrament it's the whole liturgy it's the it's the it's what we call, you know, the breaking of the bread is the celebration of Mass. So mm-hmm. in toto, so we have this. They 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 recognize him, and that's an important teaching and a breakthrough moment. That that this isn't just you know a nice little meal, uh, a repast of some sort. This is uh, the the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, and they recognize him and are filled with joy. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that you know this this whole point of recognizing Jesus in the Eucharist and you know, as you're speaking, i you thinking about, I'm not sure exactly which document from Vatican II but it talks about the four ways that Jesus is present to us, right? Mm-hmm. It mean, talks about the people where two or three are gathered, which you mentioned, number one. Number two, and the priest, the celebrant, that he walks between them, that Jesus is present, hidden, in a hidden form, very hidden. Um, Jesus had hair. Uh, number, <laughs> number number three, uh, that he's present in his word, and finally, but most substantially, in the Blessed Sacrament. And, um, yes. and I think I mean, that's probably the key here is like you know, during Easter season, we really should try to encounter or maybe more, most more, especially in the Eucharist and his presence in the Eucharist. And um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on on sort of the, the Catholic Church today? And, you know, like a sobering, you know, idea of like, what is their belief in the Eucharist? You know, and how do you how do you feel like most Catholics look at the Eucharist as opposed to maybe a small percentage or, you know, I mean, is this something that do you think most Catholics believe that you know, they could recognize Jesus breaking the bread or is more like, eh, you
2: know? Yeah. Well, if you read the polls, they don't. Most people don't get it. And then if you also just look at the way people behave at mass, including the clergy, um, it's all <laughs> kind of a big slap happy moment where, you know, it doesn't seem like anything. Right. Nothing special here. The way people don't speak very well. But this is, let's be honest, this is the, like they said in John 6, you know, the, the, the people who are hurt are teaching. Uh, how is he present in the sign of the, the wine? How is he really fully present there? This takes a lot of faith and a lot of presence to the moment to really keep our mind focused on that. So it's something uh, very important, but I will say we haven't helped the way we celebrate liturgy uh, in the last 50, 60 years. I mean, you know, if you wanted to destroy belief in the true presence, what are some of the things you do? Well, no, I'll skip all that fasting stuff. You don't need to worry about that. Uh, no more kneeling. Just go ahead and stand. Uh, you're a resurrection person. You're an adult, and none of the stuff on the tongue. You're an adult. People don't put things in your mouth. You put, you put you know, you put it in your own mouth. And, uh, and and you know, on and on I could go. But, I mean, you know, um, uh, you know we've, we've almost, it's almost like, I see an enemy's hand in this. (laughs) And if you wanted to torpedo belief in the true presence and you wanted to have a plan, I don't think you could come up with anything better than what they did. Boot the tabernacles off to the side where you're at it. Put a chair in its place. I mean, you know, somewhere we we're not. We need to help each other. I think with uh, now I, I i've often cautioned brother priests you know don't just go radically change your parish because you like out orientum or want to have communion kneeling but how about though and i wish the bishops too would all just kind of give us a little more permission you know for this stuff um and um you know help us you know maybe we could take a, a certain mass and begin to reintroduce kneeling communion on the tongue uh, the wearing of veils, of uh, tavern, you know, you get the idea. Yad orientem, right. these things that would help create that, because I think we are human, and it's hard for us. It's very hard for us to get to the, um, you know, to that place where we we become more and more aware. But you know, it used to be I, when I was a little kid, when you walked into a church, man, you better you better be on your best behavior. This was a holy place. You 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 were scolded if you talked. And you were expected to dress up. I mean, you know, I'm only 61 years old. You know, this is not that long ago. But, I mean, we would never go to church without wearing, you know, a suit and a tie. In the warmer months, maybe we could skip the jacket. But we were expected to dress. Women wore dresses. Uh, men wore the suit and tie. I had my Sunday shoes. And, and all that's gone now. Everything's casual. And, and um, it's very, it doesn't help. And I, I don't mean to say everybody has to follow every directive I just mentioned, but I, I can't see how we're really going to fix this thing with just simply more and more education. It really does come down to the way we behave. Um, and the attitude is basically nothing special here. Yeah.
1: You know, Cardinal Sarah, in, in one of his books, he said, uh, writes, the most insidious diabolical attack consists in trying to extinguish faith in the Eucharist by sowing errors and fostering an un, unsuitable way of receiving it truly the war between Michael and the angels are on one side and Lucifer on the other continues in the hearts of the faithful. He says Satan's target is the sacrifice of the mass and on the real presence of Jesus and the consecrated host. And, uh, I mean, those are, those are strong words and I, and I think that's, that's precisely true is that, um, we're incarnational and I, and it's kind of <laughs> Jesus, you see, you talk about how he, you know, he kind of leads them to that moment. He's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stay with you and we're going to, celebrate this devout mass and then i'm going to leave you and i and then i want you to ponder like you know is that that's really me and and i think too it's i don't know i i've always said this is like i mean you're talking about like we shouldn't go and, and uh but i you know back in the play we did all those things we instituted in <laughs> altar rails and we uh, i mean it was it, we didn't i mean it was it was a six-year process mm-hmm. but i gotta say by the end of the by the end of the end of the six years like people took the Eucharist really seriously. You had confessions during mass, and they were very clear, like, you gotta be, no. you gotta be in the state of grace to receive this. There's no excuse, we got a guy in the boot, right. uh, yeah. you know, kneeling and, and people start doing, I mean, but it's, it's interesting that like, just just sort of like, uh, they're walking through the preaching and through the teaching and through this, like walking with the, and then eventually it's like, ah, oh, yeah, this is Christ.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know, this Father, is... we, uh, we took it a step further even, beginning uh, Holy Thursday. Did you? we, um, <clears throat> we started using the intention sets oh, wow. and it was, I, I was very nervous very for them to roll this out at, at during the trade room. I thought, come on father, we should have done this like a week ago at a daily mass first, right? but, uh, and, uh, we haven't stopped. I mean, mm-hmm. we even did it at the Easter vigil, people loved we, it, man. people loved it. It's just, you <laughs> know, and, and it, you know what it did the ones who still, and again, that can that don't have mobility issues but the ones who were still standing for communion even at the rail um, took care of that um because they they were very interested in receiving under both species and it and it overwhelmed it went overwhelmingly well to the point where like i said i, I that's what we're shooting for at all the
2: masses now mm-hmm. yeah it was great and that's great when you can um really lead a people I think that the, my caution earlier was just that I think that there's always going to be some, you know, ah, I don't want all that traditional stuff. So I just think, you know, for the priest, be careful, give people some options. I know some good Catholics, very good Catholics who maybe aren't ready for auto orientum right. right now. But, you know, start a mass and then let's see what grows. And just a big surprise. Look what grew at uh, Sacred Heart there <laughs> in La Plata. You know, if people respond. I think these are uh, these are things that there's just so much ideology that seeks to prevent this, um, you know, just do what works, but we've got to, well, anyway, I've, I've already said it all. No, you're right. We just got to get back. You're You're right.
0: And and I think the main thing, well, it's true with everything I think, but you know, the, taking the time, both, you know, I just pains me to, you know, uh, give father Larry credit, as you know, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, taking the time to explain to people when, when the change is made, where it came from, that this is not something that was, Mm-hmm. Larry just thought last night that he wanted to do, you know, um, and, and they've, and, and they've been generally receptive. There are those who, uh, not so much yeah. at one or two things, but that's okay. Um, but, um, yeah, it's been good. Well, I, thought, I thought you were going to say something other
1: guy. Yeah. And I, I think too, Bill, piggyback. What you're saying is like, you I mean, going back to what my senior was commenting at the beginning where they they're he reoriented like they, they're reoriented towards jerusalem you know to heaven which you know the new Jerusalem and, mm-hmm. uh, and one the, i think one of the points about outer hands i mean whether you i mean whether you're looking at the people or not looking at people let's just put that to the side you know but like at mass are we looking at christ like people say like i worship god you know and i once i love i love your comment you made on the easter visual where you're talking about uh, okay New could talk to lectors and all this and the servers and there's like all these things going on is like hey just remember we, we got to worship too right <laughs> like we're here to worship god and uh it, this isn't a <laughs>
2: you know. That's great. yeah. great don't forget to worship god
1: <laughs> yeah right like let's worship god and i and i think too many people
2: yeah,
1: i, I, I it's that i think too many people they make the liturgy or they make even catholicism it's a, about what they prefer as opposed to what god wants or like walking with Jesus, like, is this bringing me closer to Jesus Christ? You know, like, am, am I walking farther away from Jerusalem or walking towards Jerusalem? You know, am I going the wrong way? Well, a lot of Catholics aren't going the wrong way. I mean, they're just, they're they're more than seven miles away from Jerusalem, like 7,500 miles away from Jerusalem with their way of thinking, you know? And um, I, think, yeah. I think it's a great way <laughs> well, to kind of deal with that, you know? <clears throat> so, anyway. And he, yes, I think we kind of covered it. You got any closing remarks there, Martin?
2: Actually, there is an Ite Misa S tier, isn't there? You know, the, yeah, the mass is right. going to go because it says that they ran. It says that they were so overjoyed that they ran seven miles back. I, I guess it's sort of nighttime. I don't know how they could. Anyway, they got there. they That's kind of what's supposed to happen at the Ite Misa S, right? Uh, the priest or the deacon says the mass is going to go in peace. And you're not like, okay, thank God this is over. You know, uh, uh, no, you're joyful. I, I encountered the risen Lord. I got to go but, tell somebody. Then everyone and goes, then you notice now they are going in the right direction. They're going back to Jerusalem. I, I, so he's reoriented them. I, That's the purpose in the nature. Of, well, the first purpose of the liturgy always is the worship of God, number one. But it has a solitary effect on us that it reorients us, turns us in the right direction, away from the world and its darkness, back to Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, and its light, and the risen Christ. And that's the whole nature. That's that's what it's about. And um, if you really authentically encounter Jesus Christ, nobody comes away unchanged. Like the wise men, remember, it says at the end of that passage, they went back to their country by another route. <laughs> don't, don't miss that little point. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> they didn't go. They didn't go. They, were, they They changed the way they were walking. You know. And right. uh, so, uh, th- those are just some thoughts, some things. And by the way, there is one little funny thing there too um some people say i'm reading too much into it but they're greeted with this a- attestation when they get back there the lord has been truly raised he has appeared to simon as, as if to almost right from the get-go you gotta okay the council of the church with the pope <laughs> you know right that gave it that gave it that he appeared to peter What makes this now? It moves from different people reporting. Yeah, the church Mm flares. Where there is Peter, there is Christ.
1: Yeah,
2: he has appeared to Simon. There's something important about that. Now, again, some people get appearance to Simon Peter just before the appearance to the others. That makes it dogma, you will, you know. And I'm, I'm reading too much. Again.
1: I'm sure some of the church fathers might have uh, come
2: "Oh, you're reading church doctrine." To the yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. It's in a seminal form, but it, I, yeah. But anyway, the Lord has truly been raised. You see, He has appeared to Simon, and I think that's now it becomes a declaration of the church. Hmm. hmm.
1: Very interesting. Well, I never. Yeah, that's that's very that's very
0: yeah um, ne- never even could never even i miss that all the all, all these years of reading that and this this is how how we've
1: have a little technical difficulty here
0: yeah i've lost him you want to go ahead and wrap up father sure
2: anyway yeah that does all right
1: thank you my senior awesome all right folks well you know if you're going the wrong way turn back and go back to jerusalem and uh focus, you know, try to focus on Christ a little bit when you're at mass, you know, you know, try to go through these four moments, you know, where Jesus is present in you when you're praying with your family at mass and the priest, you know, and anything too is like, you know, don't, you know, just, you know, don't like walk out of church, get a certain priest up and just, you know, you know, it's Christ during that time. And, you know, and remember this in persona Christi and thirdly in the word. And, you know, even if, you know, the priest flops the word, I mean, you know, let the word speak to you. I mean, there's Something being said, if you listen carefully, something will come. And most importantly, the Eucharist. Like you know, Easter is the uh, celebration of the death and resurrection of our Lord, all packaged together, the Resurrected Christ in the Eucharist. So this is a great way to celebrate Easter. And uh, if daily Mass is not something you do, consider it. You know, a couple times a week. I just, I know daily Mass was was really the, the key for my <clears throat> transformation and. Uh, me in the seminary, and I'm sure one senior can attest to that. And you know, when you start going to mass every day, things happen because you start hearing it and receiving it. And all of a sudden things start cleaning up and you can see clearly. So all right. So to the intercession of our lady and Saint Michael and uh Saint Cyprian and all the saints, may God bless you all the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen.